Uh, Winnie and Eden were making um, little post-it notes this morning, and uh, I got one that said, you know, 6 plus 4 equals 10, just in case I ever forget that, and I like that. Uh, but then she get, Eden gave me one that where she had written on it, you shine. You shine. It's, it's <laughs> Believe me, Donna, you don't need that one, okay? We already know you shine, okay? Um, what better way to begin a time of worship than for us to hear the words, you shine? Um, I want to... Um, speak a word about ordination before we get started this morning and uh, if you were here for Corey's ordination nine months ago and you have a photographic memory then you're going to remember these words. Um, you have a bulletin insert written by Lloyd Allen professor of church history at McAfee School of Theology and I want to read to you the rest of what he wrote in that article. Uh, from the New Testament to the end of the Middle Ages, the meaning of ordination moved toward an ever more exclusive and hierarchical rite designed to establish the primacy of the clergy over the laity. By the 16th century, the Roman Catholic tradition viewed ordination as an indelible mark granted by God and conferred by ordained clergy upon those whom the clergy approved for entry into elite ministerial society. In this system, ordination served as a certification for the clergy, the sole representative of the body of Christ able to mediate divine grace to the laity. The Protestant Reformation refuted this claim, emphasizing the doctrine of the priesthood of believers over against the hierarchical medieval view of ordination. Martin Luther called all Christians priests, some of whom are ordained to publicly minister and teach. Comparing ordained ministers to Christian cobblers, blacksmiths, and farmers, Luther wrote in 1520 that Priests, bishops, or popes are neither different from other Christians nor superior to them except that they are charged with the administration of the word of God and the sacraments. Most Baptists believe ordination recognizes a particular calling to a ministerial service without indicating a higher spiritual status than that of other Christians. And he concludes, ordination is an act of worship by which the congregation, representative of the people of God, acclaims the one being ordained as chosen and empowered by the Holy Spirit to exercise gifts for ministry within the church. Ordination is not, is not to a holier ministry than those given to other baptized believers. The laying on of hands with prayer invokes God's blessing upon the one ordained and signifies that he or she is set apart as a servant to the servants of God. Ordination is a gift to the church as well as recognition by the church of the minister's inward call. In the ordination service, the church receives the ministry of Christ in its midst through the grace of the Holy Spirit in the calling of the one being ordained. Ordination for Baptists is a service of thanksgiving for God's love revealed in the minister's calling a service of petition for God's continued blessing upon the one called, and a service of submission to God's authority 
revealed in the gifted one set aside for ministry. And so, we gather this morning, first and foremost, to worship. At some point during our time of worship, we will be asking anyone who desires, ordained or not, to come forward, lay hands on Alicia, to invoke God's blessing upon her and her ministry. And we will conclude our service receiving the ministry of Christ as we participate in the Lord's Supper. Steve, come lead us. Our first scripture reading is from Acts chapter 2. I'll, be, I'll begin reading in verse 16 of Acts chapter 2. This is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We are one in the Spirit, we are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit, we are one in the Lord. And we pray that all unity will one day be restored. They will know that we're Christians by our love. By our love, yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. We will walk with each other, we will walk hand in hand. We will walk with each other, we will walk hand in hand. And together we'll spread the news that God is in our land. And they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. We will work, <laughs> we will work with each other. We will work side by side. Yes, we'll work with each other. We will work side by side and will guard each man's dignity and save each man's pride and they'll know we are christians by our love by our love yes they'll know we are christians by our love and we are one in the Spirit, we are one in the Lord. And we're one in the Spirit, we are one in the Lord. And together we'll spread the news that God is in our land. And they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. 
ASL know we are Christians by our love. <clears throat> when I asked Alicia who she wanted to preach her ordination sermon, uh, there was an immediate response, and there was only one response, and that is Maxine. I want Maxine to preach my ordination sermon. And uh, it's interesting because it's not like Alicia and Maxine have been lifelong friends. Okay, <laughs> in the grand scheme of things, y'all haven't known each other that long. But it testifies to the influence of one life upon another. And all of us in this place have felt that same influence from Miss Maxine. Um, but it also allows us to ponder the, those others who have had influence on our lives. Those who have brought us to where we are today in our spiritual walk, in our Christian walk, uh, just physically have brought us here to where we are today. Uh, and it also reminds us, you shine. You shine, and others see that, and it influences them. So as we stand and sing our doxology, let us be thankful for those who have shined in our lives. Please stand with me as we... Our second scripture reading today is from 1 Samuel, chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 19. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his room. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called, Samuel, Samuel, and he said, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. And the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel again a third time. And he got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood there calling as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. Then the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make both ears of anyone who hears of it tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have sp spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I will punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew, because his sons were blaspheming God, and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be expiated by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay there until morning, then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. He said, Here I am. Eli said, What is it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also, if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. Then he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. As Samuel grew up, 
The Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. The word of God. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? I hope you can. You remember that advertisement? Can you hear me now? I'm not even going to name the name of the telephone company because it's not my phone company. So. <laughs> but uh, this, this scripture just reminded me of how sometimes the Lord has to say, can you hear me now? Several times before I really hear and pay attention. I feel like we've had the sermon a couple of times already. There's probably no need for it because that song said it all. When David finished with his song this morning, I just wanted to say, amen, the sermon has been preached. The whole sermon was preached in that song. David, your choice was something else. Uh, And I hope we took it to heart. But I'm not going to lose this chance by any means to preach the sermon for Alicia's ordination. Not because, of course, we haven't known ourselves for a long time, but she made an influence on me right away. And I came to feel like they were my grandchildren. I think it embarrassed Corey the first time I told him if I had a grandson, (laughs) I would like him to be just like him. But these young people, it was just an amazing thing when they came into our church. And now to go ahead and ordain Alicia after we've ordained Corey, uh, this is a wonderful experience for a church to ordain their pastors, their co-pastors. I guess I felt like Chuck and Martha were my children and Corey and Elisa came to be grandchildren, you know, especially if when you're in ministry and you travel, sometimes Christians become like family to you. It's not that you turn off your own family mother. You still love your own parents, your own brothers and sisters, but you find new families wherever you go. So uh, enough of this. I could just You know how I can just go on all day. And sometimes uh, if I've had just a little bit of pain medicine, I just can talk. So don't think you're going to get out early just because I said we've heard two sermons. Uh, If I sit down sometimes, it's just because my old bones are just weary. It's not because I'm hurting. And so uh, when I thought about a sermon for Alicia's, ordination, I thought about the scripture that was used at mine, this story of the boy Samuel, and it's a lot more applicable to uh, Alicia than it was to me, although it was. I don't remember what the pastor said, but I remember being appreciative of the pastor in the church, and uh, the reason to me that it's more more, uh, really a story for Alicia is that she was a young person like Samuel when she came to accept the Lord as her Savior. We heard her testimony yesterday afternoon as we met with her. And listen, if you've never heard this woman speak, you're in for a treat. God has gifted her with his message. And I mean, we've had services here, we've had sermons here, but this young woman, and I think her husband, uh, 
is just as appreciative as any of the rest of us. We appreciate him, we appreciate Chuck, but uh, this young woman has uh, really a gift from God, and we are ordaining her to use that gift to lead us. And so as we come to ordain her and to realize that she and, and Corey are already uh, to be the co-pastors as Chuck and Martha leaves us. I think because some of us started in this little church, it answered a need that we had in our lives. And somehow we didn't think about uh, Chuck and Martha ever leaving us to go on to something else. Uh, but as they talk about leaving, we are welcoming a couple who've already come to be a part of us to be the co-pastors of our church. And as I said, I feel Alicia is is gifted to, and also she told us that she has felt the call to be a pastor. That is a gift also to pastor a church. Uh, it reminds me of a scripture that you heard uh, Chuck, I believe, read earlier uh, that's a quote, actually it's a quote from Joel, that the Apostle Peter quoted in Acts 2, 14 through 21. And it was on the day of Pentecost when he told the people that the disciples were not drunk when they were preaching in the tongues of the various people present when the Holy Spirit came on them and he quoted to them, Peter quoted to them the prophet Joel. And I can hear my father quoting this scripture often. My father was an old man, and he was uh, middle-aged when he came to know the Lord, but he became very uh, interested in the Lord. He didn't let the doors of the church open when he wasn't there. And he quoted this scripture. I can just hear him now saying, And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I think in our day we would say they shall preach the word. Uh, in the New Testament, we come to see that Jesus always treated women with respect. There are various uh, ideas among Christian people about how women should be, how much women should be ordained and a part of the, the life ministry of a church. I'm grateful that we've had a lot of encouragement here. The Sunday school teacher has been wonderful. Andy has been wonderful to uh, encourage women in ministry. And in the New Testament, we do see that Jesus treated women with respect. Someone explained that when Jesus called uh, a female woman, it was like our saying, ma'am. That made me feel good. <laughs> that he wasn't just saying woman. <laughs> that it was a tender thing he was saying. Well, let's talk about our scripture from 1 Samuel 3, 1 through 19 now. Uh, it seems that there was this man named Elkanah who was married to two women. Hannah was his favorite wife, and he just gave her a little bit more attention than the other, but she was barren, and you know how horrible that was in the Old Testament. If a married woman didn't have a baby, they thought it was terrible. 
because uh, that was their purpose was to bring forth children. The other wife had a bunch of children, and she was always giving Hannah a hard time and making her cry because Hannah already felt so bad. And so Hannah went to the temple one day and begged God for a son. And she said, God, if you'll just give me this son, I'll give him back to you. Just give me a son. And she was praying and crying, and poor old Eli, who was, you already heard about him being uh he was getting old and he couldn't see well and he came to her and said woman why are you drunk in the temple you need to to leave here and she said she wasn't drunk she was praying for a child and so then when he learns this that she's praying for a son he tells her that her prayer is going to be answered well Hannah had that long awaited child and she named him Samuel she does she did just what she promised God she would do when he was old enough, she took the little boy Samuel to Eli at the holy place in Shiloh, and she gives him to Eli to be a priest in the temple. Eli had his two sons who were rascals. I mean, they were rascals from the word go. You wouldn't even want to hear what they did. Uh, and they were acting as priests in the temple. So she gives him to the old priest Eli to be brought up in the temple to serve God. And every year she would come to pray in the temple and bring a new little garment that she made for her son. And so uh, this story of 1 Samuel is set in the early life of the nation of Israel. Israel had strong leaders in Moses and Joshua. And then after settlement in the Promised Land, the Israelites were led by a series of judges who rise up in difficult times. <coughs> Israel is not an organized nation at this time. In fact, as the book of Judges comes to an end, tribal, uh, tribal wars were tending to tear the nation apart. Sometimes you hear these things from the Old Testament and it may even seem familiar today. The people are in the promised land, but the books of Joshua and Judges demonstrate that things are far from perfect. In the text that we see that Samuel lives in a precarious time when it said the word of the Lord was rare. Isn't that horrible? The word of the Lord was rare, and these were supposed to be God's people. All the people did what was right in their own eyes. You may have seen that sometime since then. Eli's son did, did what was right in their eyes, and the times are as dark as the night that falls at the beginning of the story. So the boy Samuel is in bed in the temple with the Ark of the Covenant, and this Ark of the Covenant hadn't been mentioned too many times because these people had accepted some of the gods of the people where they went. But he, uh, Samuel is in bed, and he's asleep in the room with the Ark of the Covenant, and Eli is sleeping in another room. So Eli's getting old, and his eyes have grown so dim that it's difficult for him to see. So he says it's before the lamp went out. Now the priests in the tabernacle were supposed to keep the light going through the night until the morning. And so what took place there must have been sometime before uh, daylight. Uh, it must have been in the early morning hour. And Samuel suddenly woke up and he heard a voice saying, Samuel? And he answered, Here I am. And he went to the old priest and he said to Eli, here I am, you called me. And Eli said, I did not call, go and lie down. Now 
I know some of you don't like repetition, so I'm not going to say it every time. Uh, Corey has read it to us. He kept hearing the voice. He Three times God called him, and he said, Here am I, and goes to Eli and says, You call me, what do you want? Well, I don't guess he said what do you want. He was a very respectful <laughs> young man. And uh, Eli kept saying, I didn't call you, go and lie down. Then finally, it dawns on Eli. He knows about God. He, he's the priest. So he decides that must be God calling to this boy. And Eli said, I did not. The next time when he called, he said, I did not call my son. Uh, he, he kept saying that to him because Samuel did not know the Lord, nor, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. This young boy hadn't yet. He was in the temple, living in the temple with the priests. And the word of the Lord hadn't been revealed to him. It reminds me of what. Uh, Alicia has told us that as a young person she had a desire for the Lord she came to know the Lord to accept him and it was not long before she was called you see some of us were older and God had to keep calling do you hear me now do you hear me now before we answered but she answered that call as a young person and began preaching when she was 15 or 16 so finally it, he, he, Samuel goes back and lies down and the same thing happens again but this time God says Samuel Samuel and this time he says uh, speak for your servant hears he did what he was told once he learned about God he said speak the Lord told Samuel that he was going to judge Eli's house that he would judge his house for his sins and his sons had committed sins, and the father had not disciplined them. <laughs> Makes me think of my own father. When his father-in-law asked him if he ever disciplined his children, because Papa was a disciplinarian himself, Daddy said, no, only in self-defense. <laughs> but we did get disciplined. Believe me, my mother was a disciplinarian. <laughs> but Samuel, just for some reason, did not discipline these sons. And so uh, Samuel, Eli didn't discipline his sons, and Samuel uh, was told to tell Eli that he was going to be punished and his sons were going to be punished and there wasn't anything that could be done about it because they had gone on and on. Uh, now, with these things, so how could this young boy tell this man, this is his surrogate family. He's lived with them since he was just a, a young boy, and he, they've been the only family that he knew except when his mother came to, and parents came to visit yearly with their prayer time. So uh, he, he heard this, and Eli said, tell me what, what God said. He knew God had spoke to him, and he must have known it was about what was going on in the temple. He said, tell me what God said to him. Don't hold anything back from him. So the young Samuel had to give him that hard message of what God had said. And Eli said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. So Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. That's a good saying. Let none of his words fall to the ground. 
all and all Dan and Beersheba knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord. Now, in the beginning of our story, God was silent, wasn't he? He let these people do what they chose to do, even the priests in the temple. And the word of the Lord was rare in that day. Then God spoke to Samuel, and the young man Samuel listened and told Eli the sad message that Eli and his sons would be punished. That was hard for Samuel because he was like a surrogate son to the priest. Uh, God has called Elisha now, and she has answered. She may someday be told to hear us some things we don't want to hear. Well, if she does, sure, we can question. But what we need to do if we question what the message that she gives us is go to the Word of God and ask the Holy Spirit's guidance uh, and listen to what she says. What The same thing true for Corey. Uh, the same thing true for anyone who stands in this pulpit and preaches the message. You don't have to agree with everything that's said, but go to God's Word and, and see what He says. And, there was a man named Dennis Bratcher, and he said some things that I just I couldn't read the whole thing to you, so I just chose just a few words that he said that I, I had to share. He said, I think the greatest challenge we as a church face in the coming years as people of God is to find out how to proclaim our testimony to the grace of God in a rapidly changing world. The message has not changed. The truth has not changed, but the world has, and how we speak the truth will need to change in order to speak to that world. I think this was brought out yesterday afternoon as we met with, with Alicia. Uh, it was wonderful that he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. People began to listen because they were hungry for the word of God. Now, we've heard the word, some of us all of our lives, but it's always new, it's always applicable. God rarely speaks to us in an audible voice these days. Uh, Alicia may not hear him speak out. I would never question anybody who says they've had a vision or they heard the Lord speak. But a lot of times we don't hear a, an audible voice, but we hear through God's word. We hear through other people, through prayer and the Holy Spirit. God is patient, and he keeps coming back to us as he did to Samuel. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Uh, and he kept calling. Four times he called Samuel. How many? I'm not even going to try to guess how many times he's called me sometimes before I listen. Probably the most important way that God speaks to us today is through the life of Jesus. God came to our neighborhood, as the message says, and lived among us. And if we study the life of Jesus, we can hear God speak. When God sent Jesus, it was as if he said, can you hear me now? Good. I want to say one thing this morning, and I, it's not something I've been asked to say or that they know I'm going to say. I, and I know that Chuck's going to do some kind of commitment uh, as we ordain Alicia. But I want to ask you something. Will you do something for for me, for an old lady, uh, this morning, if you want to say thank you to Chuck and Martha for 
the years they've spent here leading this church. If you want to say to Alicia and Corey, we're going to pray for you, we're going to back you and encourage you, I'm just going to ask you to stand up, or if it's hard to stand like it is for me, just raise your hands. Uh, if you will commit with me that we appreciate the leadership that's been in this church and that we're praying and looking forward to the leadership of this young couple. Just stand with me for just one moment. And I'm going to say a quick prayer and I'll sit down from here. Lord, thank you. Thank you for these people that have been mentioned. Thank you for the one we ordain and for this couple, for Chuck and Martha and the years they've given here. Lord, help us to listen for your word this day, to not have to be called again and again, but to be ready when you call us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I just wanted to give a quick report of the ordination council that met yesterday uh, and queried uh, Alicia on a number of topics, uh, from everything from her views on the autonomy of the local church to the well, her, her views on the separation of church and state, the sacraments, uh, how she would handle uh, dissension within the church. In fact, if you can think of a theological point or question, it was probably asked to her, and I can tell you that I've never seen someone smile so much throughout her explanations. Uh, she is clearly someone who enjoys uh, what she uh, is has studied, what she has immersed herself in. And what this council can affirm is that this is someone who is without a doubt called by God to do this ministry, um, who represents a, a maturity, uh, a sense of knowledge that uh, is not present often in someone so young. Um, and uh, I can tell you that everyone was astounded by so many of your answers. Uh, and in fact, uh, I even had to get one explained to me. Uh, but, uh, and I was even more astounded then. But I can tell you that, uh, uh, that this, this council uh, can, can say without reservation that, uh, that she is someone that we recommend wholeheartedly uh, for ordination. Alicia, if you'll come up and stand with me, please. My sister in Christ, do you believe that you were called by God and the church to the life and work of ministry in the name of Jesus Christ? Yes. The Apostle Paul testified, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Will you, Alicia, endeavor to be diligent in your practice of the Christian life? Yes. Scripture teaches that the church was devoted to the apostles' teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers, will you endeavor faithfully to fulfill your calling among the people committed to your care? I will. In Scripture, ministers are challenged to tend the flock of God committed to their care, not by constraint, but willingly, not for selfish gain, but eagerly, not by domineering over those in their charge, but by example. Will you endeavor to care for the people of God, nourishing, teaching, and encouraging them, giving direction to the life of the congregation, counseling the troubled, declaring God's forgiveness of sin, and proclaiming the new life that we find in Jesus Christ? 
The Spirit of God led Jesus to preach good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, set at liberty the oppressed and proclaim the time of God's good favor. Will you, Alicia, endeavor to lead the people of God and their commitment to the global mission of the church, guiding their concern for justice, freedom, and peace for all people, and taking a place of responsible leadership and service in the church and in the world. I will. The Apostle Paul proclaims the church to be one body with many members. Will you, Alicia, endeavor to live and work in unity with all Christians, helping to lead the church in fulfilling its ministry of reconciliation? With Jesus as your example, will you, Alicia, endeavor to conduct yourself so that your life is shaped by Jesus Christ, who took the form of a servant for our sake? And will you, with the help of the Holy Spirit, continually rekindle the gift of God that is in you to make known to all people the gospel of the grace of God? I will. At this time, uh, we're going to allow Alicia to say some words to us. I don't know y'all working out here without hearing from me. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so I know you heard some promises from me already this morning, but I wanted to give you a few more. Um, so I just wanted you to know fully what you're getting. Um, so today I promise um, to always preach the gospel of Jesus Christ from this pulpit. It is a gospel that is political but is never partisan and always remembers our call to justice. A gospel that, that proclaims that the root of all sin is selfishness and that selflessness is the heart of our Jesus. A gospel that wrestles and that struggles and that searches. A gospel that is not devoid of doubt, but welcomes doubting and our questions as the true catalyst to our faith. A gospel that understands that faith is a mystery and we embrace that mystery today. I promise to preach a gospel continually and persistently. Often lately, even opening the newspaper can seemingly remove the joy from our lives. And the life events that we experience can often push us to despair. But I promise to proclaim a gospel that declares that hope must be a discipline. That hope is more fleeting than happiness. More work than simply a fruit of the Spirit, hope is a practice. A practice we must engage in every day. A muscle we must exercise like we do our bodies. Hope is the discipline of the gospel. And as I proclaim to preach faith and I proclaim to preach hope, I promise to never leave out love. If faith is a mystery and if hope is a discipline, then love is our commandment today. God has called us to love. When the selfishness of our hearts bring us to ask questions like the lawyer in the book of Luke and say, Lord, who is my neighbor? I promise to preach a gospel that says no matter where, excuse me, no matter where you are, regardless of your race or orientation or gender or age or economic status, today you are held by the love of God. You are pursued by the grace of God and you are recognized in the sight of God. I promise to preach a gospel that declares that we must love our God with all we have. And the best way to do that is to care for our neighbors. May we seek the lowly 
the mistreating, the marginalized, and the downtrodden. May we say to all, you have a place in the kingdom, and you have a place right here. May the words of our mouths declare that we love Jesus, and may our actions show that we love like Jesus. I promise to preach this gospel, and more importantly, I promise to live this gospel day in and day out with you guys. And I'm honored to stand up here today. I'm honored to be your pastor. And I'm honored to walk this out with all of you. Thank you. Praise be to God. Put on your seatbelts, Olive Branch Fellowship. It's going to be a fun ride here to tell you. Please stand for our benediction. Please bow with me. Paul's prayer for the church at Ephesus becomes a prayer for each of us today. He prayed, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Amen.